Hi, crime junkies. It's Ashley here. And you all know how ready I am at any moment to drop down the rabbit holes of mysterious cases to look for answers. And there's actually one right now that I cannot stop spiraling about with more rabbit holes than I can count. In this season of Counterclock, investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra begins investigating Doug Wag Jr.'s mysterious death after he was found struck on a strip of railroad tracks. But the more Delia has dug into this case, the stranger things have gotten. And you guys, there is truly so much going on. A string of mysterious deaths, a bank robbery gone wrong, conspiracy, corruption, and it may all be connected. You can binge all of Counterclock Season 6 right now in the Crime Junkie Fan Club, or you can listen to new episodes weekly wherever you get your podcasts. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. I love a sock drawer spring clean. I have almost cycled out of all my old socks and replaced them all with Bombas. I'm telling you, once you try a pair, you'll never look at socks the same way again. Their ankle socks are my favorite. It's either that or all of their no-show socks that are in my drawer. So get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash crime junkie and use code crime junkie for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash crime junkie and use code crime junkie at checkout. Hello, crime junkies. Welcome to another episode. I am your host, Ashley Flowers, as always, joined by my producer, Britt. Hi. And before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind you that we are brought to you by Crime Stoppers of Central Indiana. They are a wonderful organization, and the whole reason that we started this podcast was to bring awareness to their cause. And they need volunteers. Whether you're here in Indiana or abroad, it's 2018 and you can volunteer from anywhere. If you have skills like web design or graphic design, we would love to hear from you. Email crimestoppersvolunteer at gmail.com and see how you can get involved. Also, today's episode is kind of really dark. You're going to need a good laugh after we're done with this. So my best recommendation to you is to check out the podcast, True Crime Obsessed. And if you want to know what you're in for, take a listen. Hey, I'm Patrick Hines. And I'm Jillian Pensavalli. And together, we make the True Crime Comedy Podcast, True True Crime Crime Obsessed. Obsessed. Each week, we watch a popular true crime documentary like The Keepers or Mommy Dead and Dearest. And then, using clips from the film, we break it down in a smart and respectful, but also sassy and hilarious way. Like this. That's awesome that you can just be like, I'm going to dig up my property and put in a pool. And then being like, this is going to be so lovely and luxurious and I'm going to relax. Oh my God! (laughs) Why are there plastic bags full of dead bodies? Like, wouldn't you have to move? I just have a lot of questions about chloroform, Out you guys. Out comes the chloroform. Can you imagine? It like, has the skull and crossbones on every bottle, right? It has to. And it comes with a little rag, right? The like, the, like dirty rag that's been used way too many times. Like, And the bottle's half empty always, right? You guys, with over 1,000 five-star iTunes reviews... And over 1.5 million downloads. Maybe check us out because we're probably the new true crime podcast you've been looking for. You can find True Crime Obsessed 
anywhere you get your podcasts. Okay, bye. Bye. Today, I'm going to tell you about the murders of the Longo family in Oregon. To give you a little background on this family of five, it's Christian Longo and his wife, Mary Jane, and they met because they were both part of the same Jehovah's Witness congregation in Michigan when they were in their teens and early 20s. And I don't know if there are levels of Jehovah's Witnesses, like kinda to super Jehovah, but they both came from families that were like super Jehovah. (laughs) And when Christian was 19 and Mary was 25, they got married. And immediately I'm like, oh my God, 19's too young to get married. Like nothing good is gonna happen. I mean, here's the thing. I was 20. Yeah, and I thought that was way too young to get married and nothing good was going to happen. And it took me like five years to accept your marriage. Look at at us now. We're fine. (laughs) Yeah. So they get married and all of Mary Jane's friends said he was the husband that made all the wives (laughs) jealous. He would dote on her, buy her flowers, take her on trips. I mean, even the ring that he got her was this like three and a half carat rock. I will say getting married at 20, I did not have a three and a half carat ring. (laughs) Preach. (laughs) Well, and so what they didn't know too is like it all looks like a fairy tale, but this three and a half carat rock that he bought, he bought like on this crazy payment plan. So he put down like nothing. And then had this payment that was going to be more than their rent. But she had no idea. And what people didn't know is is exactly that. Chris could only give her this life on credit cards. And before their first child was even born, he had maxed out all of their cards. And there was even an instance where he, like, couldn't... He either had to pay his rent or pay this payment on her ring... And he paid the payment on the ring so he could still keep up this appearance and then like stole money from a job to pay his rent, but then felt bad. So then he paid the job back and then just quit the job. So like right off the bat, they're having problems. They start having kids and almost right away they had three, each about a year apart. So they had Zachary, Sadie, and then Madison. To support their growing family, Chris takes a job with a company that distributes the New York Times. And he did pretty well at this job. He worked his way up to manager. And while there, he really developed a love for the Times and the articles that they would put out. One journalist at the New York Times in particular that they would feature was Michael Finkel. And Michael was one of their prize-winning authors who did a ton of like really heavy-hitting pieces on topics like war and slavery. But all of his pieces involved him traveling to these other countries, and he lived this very exotic life, especially to someone like Chris, who's just working an average job in the Midwest trying to support a young family. So Chris developed this kind of fascination with Michael and his work, and he memorized all of his stories and would dream of what it would be like if he were rich and successful and could travel the world writing about his adventures. But at the end of the day, Chris wasn't getting rich and famous in his nine to five. In fact, he wasn't even making enough money to live like a mildly impressive lifestyle. So at 25, he decides he's gonna quit working for someone else and start his own cleaning business. 
And by all appearances, it seems to be going well. They're still buying nice things. They have nice cars, going on good vacations. And he even convinces his dad that business is going so well that his dad invests like tens of thousands of dollars into this business. But again, all Chris was concerned with was the outward appearance of his life. So in fact, not only was his business tanking, but he was finding ways to rack up like even more debt. And eventually he got to the point where even paying off credit card minimums became so stressful, he started forging checks from his clients. Oh my God, that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And all of that wasn't even enough. He still had to keep up appearances. So it's not even like he's like forging these checks to get like a clean slate. He's like still going on. And he even decides like at this point he wants a new van. So he makes a fake driver's license goes to test drive a van and never returns it what (laughs) he stole a car and he gets caught because of this shortly after he's like pulled over while he's in the van with his whole family and he ends up getting caught for stealing the van caught for the check fraud and in michigan he had forged seven checks thirty thousand dollars and in michigan one instance of counterfeit can be charged as a 14-year felony but he gets off with barely a slap on the wrist. He plays this card with police and says, look, I'm a financially strapped family man. I'm trying my best. I just got in over my head and I just want to provide my family a good life and I made a mistake. And here's the thing about Christian Longo. He is a charming guy. He seems nice. He comes from a good family. He looks buttoned up. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would be this career criminal, so he just gets probation with the promise of making restitution. He gives the same story to his wife, swears he's done with criminal activity, swears this was like a one-time thing that he just got in over his head, and he's going to make a life for them on the straight and narrow. This whole situation, though, puts even more strain on their marriage because he basically gets kicked out of their church. So it turns out you can't be a criminal and a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> Who knew? And the way it works is that if if like you do something criminal, like you get these like warnings, but he had so many warnings back to back that he basically gets kicked out of the church. And other people in the church, like if you are excommunicated or kicked out of the church, everyone in the church is really not allowed to associate with you. So this puts Mary Jane in a really tough spot because she decides to choose her husband because her kids were the most important thing to her in the world. And she didn't want her kids to not have their father. So naturally because of this, their marriage gets a little bit strained. But it gets even worse when Mary Jane finds an email from Chris to another woman talking about how he doesn't love his wife anymore. He's basically not in love with her after she had kids. He's disinterested in her because she gives all of her attention to her kids and he feels left out. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Okay, sure. So she goes against her family and her faith, stands by him after he stole and lied, and then he's going to go complaining to other women that she's the problem in their marriage. I can't with these kind of men. Yeah. But... Mary Jane wouldn't leave him. She was determined that her family would stay together. So the way she fixes it, because it, it, he's not willing to put in any work, she just gushes over him, spoils him, draws him bubble baths, all to keep him interested in her. And she was determined their kids were going to have their dad around day in, day out, and there's no way she could have known what a terrible mistake she was making by doing that. 
because a couple of weeks after this, his whole like fraud conviction and his emails with the other woman, the Longos decide to pack up and leave town. On a side note, in the short amount of time after he was convicted, but before he leaves town, he opens a credit card in his dad's name and charges it with, Britt, I want you to guess, how much could you charge a credit card with in a short amount of time? Like short, like a day, day and a half, give or take? They didn't say exactly. I'm I'm thinking maybe a couple weeks, months, a month, two months. Oh, maybe like... Five to ten thousand dollars, depending on like how crazy I was. Over one hundred thousand dollars <laughs> worth of junk. How much? What can you want? I, I literally can't even. I like I no a lot idea. of expensive things. I can't even think of spending that much money in like four weeks. I honestly can't. Yeah, and people said he was like toting around like boats and jet skis. And so literally he's just buying anything that comes to his mind. Now, not even on his own credit card, but his dad's. Chris decides to like air quotes, start anew. He of course tells Mary Jane that this is all in the up and up. Like there's just so much negativity in Michigan. He wants to start over somewhere else. But once a liar, always a liar. And really he's just skipping town. He has his own debt. He can't make restitution to the people he was supposed to so he's gonna end up violating probation he decides to just leave and I think it should have been obvious to Mary Jane because when they leave Michigan and move to Toledo Ohio they stay in this old warehouse there it is by no means a home picture an empty warehouse that's it literally no frills there's no kitchen barely plumbing they're sleeping on cots even in this I mean this has to be like rock bottom he's filling this warehouse with a bunch of random stuff that's stolen or put on new credit cards there's no way he's able to like buy this I don't know what Mary Jane is thinking and what she doesn't know is at this point he's you know skipped out on his parole there's a warrant placed for his arrest And they actually get wind that he's in Ohio because Mary Jane's family had like tracked them down. And the way they tracked them down was insane. Like they couldn't get a hold of Mary Jane. They knew she was like in Ohio. They drove around Toledo, Ohio and happened to see the Longo's dog in the front yard. The front yard of a warehouse. (laughs) Yeah, of this warehouse. And that's how they found them. So once the police are on to them, they basically pack up in the middle of the night and just skip town and they leave everything. I mean, they were in such a hurry. They left her wedding dress. Like it looks as if as if people just picked up all of their stuff was there. Their beds were still there. All of the stuff that he had stolen still there. And they don't tell anyone where they're going. Mary Jane's phone is cut off. So when the family realizes that they're not in Toledo anymore, they don't even have a way to get in touch with them. So they file a missing persons report. They don't know what's happened, but they all they know is that they can't get a hold of Mary Jane and something is wrong. Her sister said that she could just feel it. It's such a nice perk to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places. But working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anyone else. And that's been great for me especially because these last few months, I've been doing a lot of on-the-ground reporting with our team from northern Wisconsin to Utah to the middle of nowhere, Indiana. No matter where I go, I'm able to stream, make calls, or get those case-altering DMs from sources, which that's my favorite part. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds, according to analysis by Ookla of Speedtest Intelligence Data Q3 2023. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. 
The living room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant high-performance furniture from Ashley Store is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley Store's high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, comfortable, and easy to clean for more mess and less stress. Shop the life-resistant high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Well, a few weeks after the missing persons report was filed, a postcard comes to Mary Jane's sister from South Dakota. And it basically says, sorry, we moved. I can't call you now, but we'll be in touch. And this worries the family even more because like WTF, you have time to like buy, write, and mail a postcard, but you can't pick up the phone. Seriously. So they show this to police like as evidence, like something is wrong. Like, and this is like kind of they're heading in the direction of out west, but police look at this and see something totally different. They say like, listen, you know, she's an adult. She is with her family. She obviously left on on her own. Like that's what. And she's made contact, letting you know, like it's done. Exactly. And so they close the missing persons case. But that would be a horrible mistake because this postcard came in November, and just one month later, the bodies of Mary Jane Longo and her three kids would be found. Oh no. And that's the next part I want to jump to. So. The next thing we know for sure is when these bodies were found. And on December 19th of 2001, the body of a young boy is found floating in the waterway in Oregon. Police initially think that this young boy had maybe like gotten away from home, had an accident because he was like well-groomed. He had, you know, a haircut. He was obviously cared for and had drowned. So they canvassed the neighborhood, but no kids were missing. So the next thought that they have is perhaps there's a car accident, like a whole family or a mom and a son like had gone into the water and his body had floated up. So police send a dive team to search the waters. And while they do this, they also make a composite drawing of the boy and release it to the news. They figure that even if the boy's family is gone, someone had to have known this family and could recognize him. And sure enough, someone does. Almost immediately, a woman comes forward to say she believes this is a young boy named Zachary, who's the son of a man she works with at Starbucks, and this man is Christian Longo. She mentions to him that there's this kind of weird story, and they had worked together on December 17th, and he tells her, like, at the end of their shift, like, hey, I just want to let you know, like, you're not going to be seeing my family anymore, because Mary Jane is, like, leaving me, we're getting divorced, And she's really shocked. She said, I thought they had the perfect marriage. They seemed like such a happy family. But again, Christian Longo was all about appearances. While this lady is in the police station, a call comes in. Divers have found a second body. It's the body of a little girl. They know Zachary has two sisters. This could be one of them. So they bring both children to the morgue and have this woman try to identify them. And she recognizes them both as Zachary and Sadie Longo, who were four and three at the time. Wait, so how was Sadie found? You said divers found her? Yeah, so they found Sadie, and this confirmed for them something that they already feared. This wasn't in any kind of accident. These two children had been murdered. Sadie was found at the bottom of this body of water with her ankle tied to a pillowcase full of rocks. And they determined that Zachary had been left the same way, but the tie on his ankle was somehow undone and he had floated to the surface. 
Police knew they had a homicide at this point, but they were still missing three family members. They had no idea where Mary Jane, Madison, or Chris Longo were, but they kept searching the water. On December 27th, those dive teams found something else. Now they knew like what family they were looking for so they could better localize their search. So they start a new search at these docks just adjacent to the apartment that the family was renting. And underneath these docks, they find two suitcases. And one suitcase contained the tiny body of Madison. She's just one years old. She was stuffed in the suitcase with some clothes and like a weight because she wasn't even heavy enough to weigh her down. And when they found the other suitcase, they didn't even have to look inside to know what they were going to find. Not only had they found all these bodies, but they could tell by the strands of hair that were floating from between the grooves of the zipper, they had found Mary Jane. Now they had almost the whole family except for Chris Longo. Could he have been a victim too? Sure. But police had been searching the bay for almost a week at this point with no additional findings, and it was becoming clear that he was likely their suspect in the murder of his own family. When they can't find him by January, the FBI places him on their top 10 most wanted list, so his face is plastered everywhere. They're also able to kind of track his movements because sometime before he fled, he had written down the credit card number from a Starbucks customer and was using that to like get by and travel. So police and FBI knew that he was making his way south of the border. I feel like Chris has and has never had any long-term plans. He's literally the worst planner. You're, if you're going to murder your whole family and like use a credit card that can be tracked to like the place you work, but I mean, even, that even goes back to like, what was his plan all along? Like, you're racking up this credit card debt. You're lying to these yeah. people. You're stealing from your job. You're stealing a minivan. Like, that's a like, they're gonna find you. Well, because he has made the most well-known wanted list in possibly like all of the world, someone in Cancun, Mexico, spots him. But they don't know him as Christian Longo. They know him as the acclaimed, award-winning New York Times author. Michael Finkel. (gasps) No, the writer he was obsessed with? The one and only. While in Mexico, he had assumed the identity of Michael Finkel. And now what makes the story even crazier is while this whole saga is going on, Michael Finkel's life is actually exploding as well. So I want to like pause on the Longo story and tell you a little bit about Michael Finkel. Like I said, he was this award-winning author. He traveled the world and he was getting cover after cover of the New York Times, and he based his whole life around his career. His ego was everything at this point, and it even cost him his relationships. Well, his ego got the best of him, and while doing a story about an African boy who had sold himself into slavery, he fabricated a ton of material. He basically took stories from a bunch of different boys, mushed them all together into this one horror story, and said it was a single person's life. Well, when the truth comes out, after the article was published on the front of the New York Times, he's basically publicly shamed and loses his job. And when he loses his job, like, they're going to post this big retraction, this big apology letter. He basically retreats to his home in Montana, and he was planning to hide from the world. He was completely embarrassed, felt like his life was over. He lost everything. And his phone rings. His initial reaction is like, oh, my God, this is it. It's going to be a media storm from here on out. Everyone's going to be talking about what I did. I'm a liar. But he picks up the phone and this reporter asks him for comment on the murders. 
And he said, don't you mean the article? And after like a few like, I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Michael realizes that this guy has no idea that he falsified this article. Or if he does, he doesn't even care. All he cares about, he tells him, is there's this man accused of murdering his whole family. He's just been captured in Mexico. And the whole time he was down there, he had been assuming Michael's identity. And Michael Googles himself. And sure enough, every hit is on this Christian Longo and not on what he had done. <laughs> I mean, what are the odds? And like, if you are this Michael Finkel guy, like, it's almost a weird relief, right? <laughs> I mean, totally. Like, that. that's like part of this that I can't get over is the timing of this for him to like blow up professionally, like in a bad way, and then be totally saved by this other tragedy just because this guy happened to use his name. A perfect storm. It re- For Michael Finkel, it was. So to take us back to Chris, he's arrested and brought back to Oregon to stand trial. And he actually strikes up a friendship with the real Michael Finkel, and they start corresponding by phone, by mail, and Michael even goes to visit him regularly. He tells Michael this sob story, and you know, it starts from the beginning, his whole life and how he grew up and he just wanted this great family and he wanted to give them all this great stuff and he couldn't, he was drowning in debt and you know, all this kind of BS of like how he got here. And then he picks up the story that we didn't know and says from South Dakota, the family kept heading west to Oregon. When they arrive, the only job Chris could get was working a part-time job at Starbucks, making like seven something an hour. That's just $140 a week to support a family of five. And Chris was back to his same tricks of like living beyond his means because he somehow talked his way into getting approved for an apartment overlooking the bay that cost over $1,200 a month. Again, what was his long-term plan? He's making, what, like $550, $560 a month before taxes. That's not even half the rent. He has a family he needs to feed. They have to pay for gas. Kids mm-hmm. are growing. They go through clothes like crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, what was his plan? Please. I truly, I don't know. I don't know if his plan was to keep lying. And, I mean, he had gotten by so many years, like, conning people this way. Oh or, I don't know if he had an exit strategy in the back of his mind for, like, some time. But this all comes to a head between December 17th and December 18th. But that's where the story that he is telling Michael always stops. And although this whole time he swears to his BFF Michael Finkel that he didn't do this, like this is all a mistake, he won't actually talk about the days leading up to when the bodies were found. And he won't talk about what might have happened if he didn't do it. I can't tell you what happened in those times. No one knows for sure. But what I can tell you is what the police, the prosecutors, and the jurors have speculated and said happened. They say that Chris worked a shift at Starbucks on December 17th, and that's when he told that story to his co-worker about never seeing his family again. They say Chris goes home that night, and he and Mary Jane have an altercation about something, likely money, since there was absolutely none. Right. Mary Jane had actually recently, they find this out later, she had gone to a food bank to get information for the family. And, you know, Chris could have found out about this and been embarrassed since all he cared about was appearances. Like, having to go to a food bank would be the last thing he would want. Or, you know, maybe he had no idea and just couldn't take the mounting pressure of supporting this family of five in this apartment he couldn't afford with this mounting debt and a warrant out for his arrest. Right. Like, I feel like... 
in his mind, they were very much to blame for why he couldn't live the life he wanted to right. live, you know? So however this escalated, police believe that it probably happened in the evening and he think they think that Chris first strangled Mary Jane. She also had like some blunt force trauma. So whether he hit her or strangled her and then hit her, I don't know. But they think he killed her first to get her out of the way. And then he strangled their baby Madison. In the autopsy photos they showed in court, the jurors said that they could still see the marks around Madison's neck even after all this time that she was in the water. Oh my God. He then shoved their bodies into those two suitcases, walked them down to the bay, and put them underneath the dock. He has two children left, Zach who's four, Sadie who's three. And one of two things could have happened. I can't, I am reading different accounts in different places. He either took them alive and put them into his minivan, or he suffocated them both there and then put them into the minivan. But he puts both children into the minivan along with two pillowcases and some rope. He drives to a nearby bridge, fills the pillowcases with rocks, tied them to their ankles, and one at a time carries them to the side of the bridge and dumps them into the water. This is honestly just so horrific. It, I can't. I, I almost don't have a reaction. I know. This case was really rough for me. The murder of children always rocks me but there's something that just hurts me to my core when I think about a parent doing something like this like to think that a little child who knows nothing about the world who knew nothing about their dad nothing about what he was really doing or who he really was like to their to them their dad was like a superhero they trusted him like every moment Mm -hmm. and even as he was if they were alive like holding them and carrying them to the water like they never thought that he would hurt them. Like, because why would they? When you were little and your dad picked you up, like, that was the most comforting and, like, safe place for you. I, I cannot imagine what those kids were feeling in those moments if they mm-hmm. were still alive. It just breaks my heart. I mean, and even if they weren't when he, like, dropped them to have, like, your dad come in your room at night if, if he suffocated them. Like, either way, like, your parents are supposed to be, like, the two people in the world who, like, have your back. And especially when you're so young and can't protect yourself. Like, it, ugh, it just makes me sick. And like, it's why this story upsets me so much more than even others that we have. The living room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant high-performance furniture from Ashley Store is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley Store's high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, comfortable, and easy to clean for more mess and less stress. Shop the life-resistant, high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Done. (sighs) So, um, we know Longo was on that bridge because on the 17th, a man actually pulled over and talked to him. He thought he was having car trouble. It was like the very early hours in the morning. And Longo says, you know, oh, it's just my check engine light's on. Like, I'm fine. I don't need any help. And the guy drives away. But the driver said that he seemed totally fine. So not even in this time, like before or after he dumped his children into the water, like was he even disturbed by what he had done. So Longo is the only one of his family that survived. He was on the bridge over where his kids were later found. He fled the country after the murders. 
and he was found frolicking in Mexico. Was he actually frolicking? Oh, he was for sure frolicking. He literally, like, when the FBI caught him, he was in a shack smoking weed with some German tourist that he was trying to bone, like, when they caught him. He was zero sad tears. Oh, my God. God. So the prosecution feels like they have a really strong case, but Longo shocks everyone, including his new BFF Finkel, when he goes into court and pleads guilty to only two of the murders. What? Yes. He had a completely different story. He says that it all started on the night of the 15th, December 15th, when he and his wife went out on a date with all that money that they had. And Mary Jane told her husband that she felt like things were going really bad for their family. And she confronted him about all of the lies, like all of the stealing, because he's still, again, telling her that everything's fine. And I think she was putting the pieces together that it's not. And he tried to play it off, but he said he couldn't keep it in any longer. And the night of December 16th, they stayed up and had this like all night conversation where he confessed everything. He confessed the stealing, the lying, having a warrant out for his arrest. And he said when Mary Jane heard all this, she just lost it. He said she had an emotional break like he had never seen before. And the next morning, he asked her, like, let me stay home from work. Let's talk about this. And that's the last thing she wants. So she's like, no, you're going to go to work. Like, we need the money. So she drops him off because they only have the one car. But when she picks him up from his shift, she's only wearing a bathrobe. She's barefoot and the kids weren't with her. When they get home is when he realizes what has happened. He said that the first thing he found was Madison, the one-year-old, lifeless on the bed. And he said he just lost control and strangled Mary Jane. And then he said he realized after he did that, he put her in the suitcase, that Madison was like still alive. And so he strangled her. To, because he didn't want her to like live with what had happened and he said as they like blew up like this what he realized is that Mary Jane is the one who had killed Zachary and Sadie and she dumped them because she had a mental break he says that's why the bodies were disposed of in such different ways because she killed Zach and Sadie and he killed Mary Jane and Madison one they weren't disposed of in really different ways. Mm -hmm. Am I right? They were. They were all found in water. Yes. And in different locations. Okay. Two, like, what a piece of crap to kill your wife and then just be like, actually, she killed everybody else. Yeah, and I and I was just so mad that she killed them that I snapped. I killed her. Logical. But it was even hard for him, like, in, in court to, like, people to play off, like, okay, we get, say your wife did it and you killed her because you snapped. If you found out your daughter was le alive... Why did you kill her? I mean, none of it made sense, and the jury didn't buy it either, and they found him guilty of all of the murders. And after he was sentenced to death, he even almost confessed. Like, he was telling people he was ready to stop lying and blaming everyone, and he wanted to come clean for what he had done. But not long after he's, like, doing this, he starts filing his appeals, and he goes back to his original story in court. Truthfully, that's where things stand now. He's trying to get a new trial. He's on death row. I'm completely disgusted. You know what, like, I can't figure out that I keep coming back to is how long do you think he was planning this? Some people think that he was the one that actually sent the postcard from South Dakota to keep her family off their trail. And the bodies were hidden. So, like, you know, in his mind, maybe they would never be found. And knowing that he killed them all, did he do it differently with the plan, like, the whole time of blaming Mary Jane? Uh, man, I don't know. Like, in my heart of hearts... He did it all. Like, from day one, he was living, like... 
Oh. Just completely, yeah. like, very deceptive, very manipulative, very, you know, appearances are everything. I feel like he had to have been planning this for a while. So... Because he is a person who, like, plans ahead to a certain extent in that, like, plans ahead to cover his tracks. See, I was going to say the exact opposite thing. Like, I think he's the worst planner of all time. And, and in my mind, like, I love being that kind of, like, conspirator and, like, and, like thinking the opposite of what everyone else does. But I don't even think I can say that maybe he didn't do it. Like, I could say in other episodes, you know, maybe Scott Peterson didn't do it. Maybe Robert Fisher didn't do it. But in this in this one, I don't think there's anyone out there who's, like, having a – is Robert – or is Christian Longo innocent kind of Facebook page? No, no I way. completely agree. I just do think that he's been, like, trying to get ahead of the game for so long. Like, he had to have known that he couldn't keep this up and he had to find a, quote-unquote, like, solution – for his family that he couldn't support and this was it yeah maybe this like really gives me robert fisher vibes like i don't know about you definitely definitely whenever a guy goes missing or is like suspected of killing his entire family it seems really similar in a lot of ways yeah and i don't know if like if he would have never been caught if maybe there would be more people who thought he was innocent but again it's it's the same thing to me like this family man who yeah has shown signs of like maybe being a liar or maybe being angry but like was never violent and then to just like take out his whole family and then even now in prison like he he gets along really well with everyone he's like a model prisoner so like it's so weird with these family annihilators that like they can just snap and disassociate with their family I don't know I can almost turn like on and off yeah I can't figure it out but definitely, again, like, I have totally different feelings between this and Robert Fisher. Like, I, ha- I have a lot of questions about the Robert Fisher case. My only question with this Christian Longo case is, like, why? I mean, there was no other option. So the last I heard, so he is on death row. He's trying to file some appeals. Um, I haven't seen if he's been approved or if it's been actually filed and is under review. I did hear some rumblings, like, as I was reading through online that – Mary Jane's family is raising money to get to Oregon for a new trial, but I haven't actually seen any new articles about there being a new trial. So we will obviously follow this. If anything new comes up, if he does file an appeal or if he does get a new trial, we'll be sure to update you guys. You can go to our website, get our newsletter for all these updates, crimejunkiepodcast.com. Crime Junkie is written and hosted by me. All of our sound production and editing comes from Britt Praywatt. And all of our music, including our theme, comes from Justin Daniel. Crime Junkie is an audio Chuck production. So what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? The living room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture from Ashley Store is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley Store's high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, comfortable, and easy to clean for more mess and less stress. 
Shop the life-resistant high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.